Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter and on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Maul. Jamal Forrest, you can find me on Twitter at Let's Maul Tell It. Do not forget that you. <laughs> um, if you find yourself with some spare time today, let's get this out of the way early, man. We appreciate it. You can help with the ratings and reviews man uh it takes two seconds to do it i appreciate everybody who's been listening i appreciate everybody who's been uh tapped in on a weekly basis on a daily basis or or a podcast episode basis i don't know whenever we release and and, and you're a faithful listener we appreciate that um so yeah if you can just drop that rating and review just to help us out and keep growing uh, we definitely appreciate that um this is a quick takes and update episode so we won't hold you to long we're catching you up on everything washington commanders on this weird week um you know it's not easy for me <laughs> to i don't think it's easy for anybody to really adjust to like a monday night schedule uh, on, on a podcast side radio is a little bit different um i'm sure but the podcast side trying to get your schedule together and um especially if you have a day job like me <laughs> um trying to figure out what days and times is it's best to record it kind of gets things in the way and um you know life takes over but Y'all aren't here for that. Um, again, let's go ahead and get right into everything commanders. Um, so I, I am gonna catch up on, on on things with the team, and then I do have some thoughts just on how the offense played and uh things like that as we move forward. So, first thing first, we're gonna start with Coach Ron Rivera. Uh, from yesterday's pressure. This is Thursday morning, the day in which we're recording this. So we are reacting and commenting on things that Rivera had said uh the day prior after practice. Um, you know, on Carson Wentz returning um, in his timetable, uh, Rivera had mentioned, you know, the biggest update, quote unquote, the biggest update more so anything else is Carson has been cleared to start throwing. We haven't designated him for return yet to practice. He's working on the side. Well, he's working actually uh, down the field with the training staff today. But again, he wasn't designated for return. So we'll start Taylor this week week um there you go there you have it uh taylor heineke and i guess it's, it's probably makes sense for me to mesh in my thoughts on the offense or or thoughts from the past game you know as we talk about these quotes so um it's a good time to talk about taylor heineke and just the, the dynamic with carson wentz uh I, I think for for i don't know how many people out there believes this as well but um you know i, I do think that ron rivera 
and the coaching staff wants to go back to Wentz. Like they truly want to go back to Wentz, but I think the difference or the, the, what's the word situational awareness or what they call reading the room. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think Ron Rivera is quite aware of what he can't do right now. Like, I think Rivera is, uh, and this could be a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know, but you know, pride and ego sometimes gets in the way, right. Of, of, of rational decisions. But I think for the most part in this situation, um, understanding when to tamper it. Um, and, and then again, I'm not even this again, this isn't a criticism, but, um, you know, I think if Carson Wentz was available and available to throw and, and is actually fully 100 percent good to go. I think this is why this conversation holds merit um, is because, you know, if there was opportunity, you got to remember Carson Taylor Heineke hasn't been really playing great football, hasn't been really good. He had a good game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. Um, and we have to get credit for that performance. Um, I would say good. I wouldn't say anything better than that. Um, so you have to give him credit for that. But the prior games, remember, they were averaging 14 points per game heading into that to the uh, to Monday night matchup against Philadelphia. So that includes the three the three prior starts um, for Taylor. And I think for Rivera to understand that, you know, the, the locker room is behind Taylor. The players love Taylor. The players have some type of chemistry with Taylor, right? Knowing that they can compete with him. Um, he's not an unfamiliar face in the locker room like Carson is. Um, and that's just the unfortunate truth, right? Um, you know, Carson has a lot of building to do with his teammates. And who's to say, like, he hasn't created or, or made progress in that aspect. But Taylor Heineke has been here for two and a half years. And he's a personable person. He's a he's a charismatic individual. Like, he he spends time with individuals um, on both sides of the football from what we come to know. And he can establish and develop relationships and things like that. So players understand who Taylor is. Players are like, I like this dude. We're going to win some games, man. Like, that's what happens when you have a quarterback that you believe in. Uh, whether or not, you know, the the skill set or the physical traits, you know, uh, are there to back up how good he could be for your team. The truth of the matter is Taylor Heineke is that guy for this team this year. Um, and in terms of starting Carson Wentz, hearing what Ron Rivera has to say on Carson, um, obviously we know that T Taylor is safe for this week, but when do you – consider a Carson Wentz. Um, and truth be told, whenever that week is, we don't know when it's going to happen. And I'm prefacing this, but whenever that week is that Carson is a hundred percent ready to go and he's back and he's backing up Taylor Heineke, that game, that very next game or very, that very game that he is active and backing up Taylor Heineke is Heineke's litmus test. He cannot underperform. He cannot have a terrible game. And he maybe cannot lose. And that is when the conversation about Carson Wentz becomes valid, legitimate. And I think that's when, especially because now they're five and five heading into a, a, a stretch run where they have legitimate playoff chances. Um, look at that playoff chances um, after everything we didn't talk about on this show um, and, and everything we didn't talk about throughout the course of the season. Um, but they have legitimate playoff chances. So, uh, if if Heineke drops the ball in, in any of these instances, specifically the game or the week in which uh, Carson Wentz is officially 100 percent and ready to go or, or ready to back up Taylor, that is when you have to monitor what Ron is saying even closely, closer <laughs> than what we're talking about today. Next up, 
Jack Del Rio. Um, this is a long quote, so bear with me. <laughs> um, I should do better with the audio and, and capturing these quotes, but here we go. Quote unquote. I think what's been interesting is is not really what Jack and the staff have come up, but the way they've been using different different personnel groupings with the injury to Cole Holcomb create some of the creative ideas they've come up with on how to use different players. I mean, one of the things that we've talked about has been a, a, about position flex. And when you have guys that can play, whether it's safety and then come down in the box and play the Buffalo or a corner that can come and play the nickel, a defensive end that can play like a stand-up wheel backer or and a 3-4, they've gotten creative with their guys and they've that's been very impressive. When I sit in the me- meetings, listen to some of the things that they talk about, I can see it from my background. I can see it because what they're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish with these guys. The thing that allow you to do is a lot of these guys are getting what we're expecting from them, asking of them. You can see that they actually grown and understood the whole idea behind the game planning that we do now. And it's one of those things that about growth and a lot of those guys has grown well. A lot of our young players are getting opportunities to play and showcase themselves. You also look at some of the guys on the D line that have contributed. And he goes off to naming several players, right? Um, and then he talks about the growth of Jamie Davis, Benjamin St. Juice, Derek Forrest, Cam Curl. Uh, he says and continues, I mean, it's a good, solid young group of guys that have really taken the next step. But I like, uh, and watching Jack, it's like his confidence level and the players are growing, even though he can do these things and he's willing, enough to the point that he can do those things and he's willing to put these guys even in tougher positions. I think he's very comfortable and very confident in the players that we have. And I think, truthfully speaking, that shows itself well in Derek Forrest, shows itself well in Jamie Davis, and it shows itself well in Bobby McCain. Bobby McCain has played a lot of snaps in, in the slot this year. Um, it's It's been uh, increased from you know his previous season with Washington, right? Um, but then also you have Derek Forrest when Bobby McCain is in the slot. They're sending Derek Forrest and, and allowing him to play that single high or that too high shell, depending on what they want to do. But uh, Derek Forrest is playing up top. And I think the most important thing with Derek Forrest too as well is also acknowledging the fact that um, they had said a long time ago that he is very comfortable playing up top. He's not the guy that he w- he wants to play in the box. Like He's not that person who's comfortable doing that. I think that plays a part, and that's very important when you're asking certain players to, to have certain roles, and I think that's where Cam Curl fits in. Um, that's where Bobby McCain fits in, right? Cam Curl is obviously that Buffalo, Buffalo nickel guy, um, but he also can line up outside in the slot if need be. Same thing with Bobby McCain, not specifically the Buffalo nickel, but playing in a slot. And that's something that he's very comfortable with. And he's actually, he actually plays smart at the line of scrimmage. Um, and, and I guess that's not a fair way of saying it because I, I am one and I've been on record for weeks at a time and even heading into the season that I've been a fan of Bobby McCain. I think a lot of the criticism of him is more so overrated than it is accurate. Um, you know, obviously a lot of people get on him about tackles, but they don't talk about the fact that he's been solid in coverage. I think what his issue is in coverage is more so at the catch point, but in terms of negating plays or erasing plays for a quarterback, he does that. He has good coverage ability. He can cover uh, the whole field. Like he has that speed to do so. He has that play recognition to do so, right? He's very smart. Um, so to that point, uh, Jack Del Rio, at least on the back end, you're starting, to, you're starting to see second and third level, to be clear. You're starting to see as the weeks go on, 
exactly what they're doing with these guys. And it's it's very good to see um, in terms of the trust level. Obviously, Benjamin St. Juice was the biggest one that I, you know, I don't even know how I didn't mention him. <laughs> but, you know, he. I, I think the best thing that happened to Ben St. Juice, and I believe I said this on Hogshaven, if not Trapper Dive, but I'll say it again, don't matter. The best thing that could have happened to Benjamin St. Juice was that they miss uh, fit him in this defense. Initially, they started out in terms of 2022, putting him in the slot, right? They think that they had he had the characteristics to play slot, and he did. But they did it because William Jackson III was playing on the outside, right? So, obviously, they wanted to have the best players on the field, and they thought Benjamin St. Juice can play the slot. Turns out he can play the slot. But another thing that he turns out to be better at is playing outside. <laughs> and they got that exposure on Benjamin St. Juice week three against the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, so, what does that do as, as weeks move on, right? Eventually, when they ultimately decide to bench William Jackson and actually trade him uh, later on, they put Benjamin St. Juice back outside and he holds his weight, carries his water <laughs> or holds his water. <laughs> but then um, also you get the opportunity to, to move around with uh, Justin Jefferson. Um, you're moving around on the field against the, the Philadelphia Eagles Monday night. Um, you're not relegated to one side of the football. You're not relegated to just the outside. Like they trust you to move around in whatever matchup that they see. They say, we want you right here. Go cover this guy, lock him down or make a play. Right. And I don't think the the there wasn't there was some opportunities for Philadelphia and, and they hit on some targeting Benjamin St. Juice. Uh, but he also is a guy who made some plays <laughs> out there like the Obviously, the 50 yarder to Quez Watkins that they they beat Benjamin St. Juice on. You know, you don't give up on a play. And I think that's the biggest thing with with certain players, especially younger guys. Right. Who are in a proven mentality, who are true competitors of the game. Don't give up on a play just because you got beat. And eventually, what did he do? He got back in, made the fumble, um, and Derek Force recovers. So uh, Benjamin St. Juice being misfit in his offense or misplaced in his offense, I mean, excuse me, defense, provided benefits down the road because now they know that he can play inside and outside. And that means that, you know, if our if our best receiver or if their best receiver is a, a versatile receiver just like Benjamin St. Juice, they can move who? Benjamin St. Juice around. Um, so I, I think, obviously – the confidence factor of Jack Del Rio is showing itself on the field and how they put people out there uh, to make plays. Next up is Chase Young. Uh, Rivera mentioned Chase Young in, in that, you know, we'll find out, quote unquote, that that we'll find out today, meaning Thursday, or excuse me, Wednesday, we're inside. He had an opportunity to go through all the stuff we were supposed to, but the real indi indicator will be how he does on Thursday and Friday. In terms of his game plan for Chase Young, Rivera mentioned that it'll be a pitch count. Uh, it'll be a pitch count of something we'll monitor closely. Again, because the biggest part, especially right now, is that you want to get as close to the live action, and you really can't. So we're trying to figure out how much or how he can get as many good reps in the next couple of days to get a good gauge as to where he is. So that's un that shouldn't be unexpected. Um, as we know, Chase Young is expected per Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter um, is expected to make his debut Sunday. And um, again, they said pitch count. So I think the biggest thing, if you're listening to this before practice is understanding that, you know, that has not been determined yet in terms of how he's performing, but he is going to get ramped up today. He is going to get ramped up tomorrow. Don't know a lot more in terms of what they can and can't do with Chase Young within the next couple of days. So that is encouraging to see. 
uh, my expect- expectations of Chase Young this season has drastically dwindled down. Um, I think the most important thing is understanding. Look, I, I don't think there's people who are um, upset. Um, not at Chase Young, though, but at the fact that, you know, there was some indication, some possibility that he may be ready around week one. And I don't this I don't not blame them for for feeling that way. Um, And and I only bring this up because when you think about uh, the amount of time that has passed since we were optimistic or open to the fact that he may be ready week one. Right. And and again, I I personally didn't think he'll be ready week one, given the situation. Um, It wasn't just the ACL. Right. Um, he, He injured other things or another thing that uh, added to his timetable to return. But I think with all the time that's wasted, you kind of understand or not wasted. That's even a strong word, but all the time that has gone by, you understand that this season is not going to be one unless he hits the ground running. And we're like, damn, we're all like, damn. Um, but until he hits the ground running, that's kind of something that, you know, is is being considered now as a lost season. Um, and, and the good thing is he'll have two years left, right? The fourth year is next year. The extension, uh, the fifth year extension will follow. So we'll have two years for Chase Young. Fingers crossed he doesn't get injured again or have a significant injury like this. Um, but, you know, th- the expectations of a second overall pick um, and, and how he can impact your defense on the field, um, you, you haven't really seen too much of that outside of his first year and what he can do. Um, so. Yeah, my expectations has dwindled. I don't expect much from him this year. I don't expect him to make significant impacts. Um, I think that will be the unexpected for many as he comes back and plays the last seven or six games. Um, what is it? Seven games now. So that is that. Um, so we'll close out on my quick thoughts of the offense um, from Monday night against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I was very impressed with how they were committed to the ground game and the way they attacked the Eagles on the ground. I think I said this on Twitter because um, one of the best ways that they were able to do this was constant pre-snap motion, constant uh, misdirection after the snap. The tight ends were heavy usage and Curtis Samuel was heavy usage in terms of eye candy uh, for the second and third levels. I think one of the best ways in which they were able to really implement or, or clear or try to clear some space out for that run game was, you know, have the linebackers flowing in the opposite way in which the play was going on, um, whether it was your counters, whether it was your uh, your your split zones or whether it was your outside zones like the tight ends and, and Curtis Samuel played a heavy influence in that. But not only that, the tight ends was getting dirty in the run game. Logan Thomas had one of his best games as a blocker that I have seen um, from him since he's been here. And that is very encouraging. Um, I don't know if it was just the opponent and, and how he woke uh, how he woke up against the Philadelphia Eagles, or maybe an indication that he's just starting to feel himself again. Like I noted that his straight line speed is back. At one point, he wasn't running that fast, and, and I was very critical, and I was out there publicly criticizing him in terms of like what does he offer for your team at this point. But like the last week Monday night, he looked very good, and he looked like he was you know finding himself again. So I got to give him credit. I got to publicly acknowledge that he was, you know, doing really good. Um, so, yeah, the, the Logan Thomas was solid. John Bates obviously had a, a very impactful game in the ground game. Um, and then Armani Rogers as well being very visible on his wham slash slice box behind the offensive line. And it was very 
encouraging to see they had a very solid game plan. Brian Robinson, Antonio Gibson got some tough yards throughout the night. Um, everything wasn't, you know, there for them, but they created and they established contact and maintained that leg drive. And it was very impressive to see uh, Taylor Heineke connected on several huge plays. I think um, like several <laughs> um, you get, I think one of the biggest plays for, for Taylor obviously was that 40 yard connection for, um, for Terry McLaurin. Right. But it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, a product by or, or stemming from the result of the, the run game. Excuse me. Um, so you have, you know, the 12 personnel look from Philly puts, excuse me, 12 personnel look from Washington has forces Philly to put eight in the box. Um, at that point, think about the context of the game, play 60. Um, you had over hundred yards rushing in the first half. Um, so, you know, that 12 personnel look we're like, all right, we're going to put eight in the box because we've seen this before. And we know at this point of the game, given that, for 51 plays in the first half, they ran the ball a lot. And um, the play action play, play action pass, they're in the cover four. So essentially that goal ball shouldn't be there for Taylor, Taylor Heineke or Terry McLaurin. But Terry does a really good job using a single move release on Darius Slay, right? He takes that first step outside, sails like it's a speed release, and then wins back inside uh, with – very good quickness and acceleration that creates instant separation for Terry. Um, so at that moment, right, that takes the defense by surprise because you have that cover four safety. So that that uh, quarter safety that, that's supposed to be over top of Darius Slay, um, he's that eighth man in the box. <laughs> so if you want to put eight in the box, OK, Washington and Scott Turner said we have an answer for that. We're going to take this is our shot to take you over the top. And they did just that. Um, and, and I think that was a product, again, of the run game being successful. I mean, consistent and uh, showing another run look and, and Terry winning at the line of scrimmage that creates that opportunity for Washington, a big play opportunity for Washington and Terry, uh, Terry McLaurin. So Taylor Heineke put that thing on the money um, and, and Terry did an excellent job at the catch point with an over the shoulder grab um, and ball security, maintaining that on contact with the ground. So very good performance out of that offense um I, again i mentioned that the defense you know had a litmus test for me and, and i think they passed um I, i'd say like a c plus or b minus defensively uh, just from an overall standpoint but when you force four turnovers um i would probably bump them from that c plus to a b minus to a b plus off the fact of those turnovers that i can't give them an a um because one of those turnovers shouldn't have never happened. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, uh, they both played well offensively and defensively. And obviously special teams, we know that uh, at this point, where we should know that Joey Sly was named the NFC uh, Player of the Week, NFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Obviously going four for four on field goals and then um, making his extra points as well. So that was pretty good for him, pretty good for the team. Um, and yeah, very good week for the boys. So Houston's up next. We have the game preview tomorrow. Uh, y'all take care um, and see you in a little bit. Peace.